Welcome to everyone to Art Music Lit Spaces opening reception for After Before. Um, I'm reading the wrong intro, so I'm Joy Miller and I'm one of the curators at Art Music Lit Space along with Tavares Blackman and Derek Kwan. And I'd like to welcome you all to the opening reception for After Before, which opened up on Sunday the 7th. And congratulations to everyone who has work in the show. We have a neat night of programming ahead of us, starting with a presentation of work by Sai, as well as a presentation by Stephanie Bird, who will be in conversation with Derek Kwan. Following that, curator Tavares Blackman will be in conversation with guest artist Jeff Mary, and we will close the evening with a curator's discussion of the work in After Before and time for questions. And speaking of questions, if you have questions for artists or curators or anyone, but don't want to say them out loud in the Zoom realm, then feel free to chat them to me and I will say them out loud in the Zoom realm. So now allow me to introduce the show and the artist in the show. AML Space had invited work exploring themes related to disjointed time, the essence of events that demarcate eras, and the nature of such demarcations and the complexities intrinsic to the mortal relationship with time. Artists in the show include Alexandra Yakovleva, Amanda Thomas, Daniel Brickman, Julia Seri, Tatjana Sogorov, Forrest Alaya, Ronald Walker, Sai, Stephanie Bird, Sophie Yuditskaya, and writers Jeremy Foreman with his poem, Beatles, Ben Shirtliff and his story, The New England Maple Cheddar Sandwich, Adam Foreman with his prose, Hark, and Philip Brubaker with Funny. And now, without further ado, I will introduce you to Tavares Blackman, who will be talking about the, the call for our next show. So, our next open call is methods of negotiation. So um, the deadline is uh, August 3rd. Uh, we're inviting work that investigates the methods of negotiation or what they may be. So uh, each one of the curators came up with basically a prompt based on our experience and perspectives and what that might mean. So I think we're each gonna read, read our uh, section of the call. Uh, what are the artist's methods of negotiation? This color here, that shape there, press this in such a way as to create, as to caress the form, creating but an acceptable contour. Our methods come at a high price too, like the cost of art school, the solitary life that some artists lead and the difficult nature of sustaining a life, let alone in art, music or creative writing practice. In the end, after the failings and successes, the artist will return to the beginning, thinking back fondly upon all the before negotiations that led them to finally accept themselves as an artist, dreamy, winsome, sharp. 
The uncertainty in deciding on making, not observing, percolates, brews, will create meaning and feed the mind and nurture the soul. We become a conglomerate of negotiations, therefore, exercised in the shrewdness of forethought, the rigor of doubt, and lean in the contortion of the once rigid self. Joy? Uh, did you want to read your section, Joy? Or do you want me to read through it? Up on me, but I think now it's stabilized. I'll read it. Notice that negotiation is not synonymous with compromise. Negotiation being its very own triumph that bonds the members of the process. It is a semi-permeable membrane through which we ourselves may pass and then be new to ourselves and each other. Bringing hands, raised eyebrows, body language stiff and loose, mouths open and closed. Perhaps negotiation starts deep within bodies on a cellular level, regardless of the negotiations spiraling outwards beyond their minute origins. Spores negotiate with cellulose and fungus fruits hundreds of feet above the process. A deal springs in a bank with a wink and a nod and an empty checking account. Someone hands over the title of their boat to keep for the weekend, hoping to lay hands on enough cash to get it back on Monday. Babies are made or aborted, wars lost and won, and snipers fade into the background, trying to find a fix for adrenaline needs and the deep disconnect of murderous anonymity. Chestnut trees accept pollens from distant winds and drop fruit in exchange for a lightened load. Is not every single ounce of each millisecond and milligram and millipede is it not all some clip of a negotiation happening everywhere all at once? And just how do we wrangle these negotiations, perpetuate and proliferate them? Eric, uh, would you like to read your section of methods? Sure. How do we negotiate virtual spaces and how do these methods differ from negotiating physical spaces? Are our online negotiations any less valuable or real than physical ones? What is the relationship between our online and physical methods of negotiation and do they coexist or overlap? So, uh, you know, we're inviting people far and wide to submit to this call. Uh, you can submit at info at art-music-lit dot space. Uh, once again, we're accepting visual art, uh, sound art, and writing. And, um, you know, we're looking to have, you know, another international or national uh, representation of work. Um, we've had a really good uh, showing so far of artists across the country and basically across the globe. And uh, we're excited to see what what comes next. And once again, the deadline is August 3rd. So I think Joy is going to bring up our first presenter, Sai. Yes, we'll start with Sai. Um, and Sai 
is a generative artist whose work dwells on the intersection where art intersects with technology with a rebellious sense of wonder. Coming from a classical background and studying an NID that follows the Bauhaus principles of design, Sai's work ranges through different mediums and disciplines. Over the last decade, mixed multiple mediums like claymation, sand animation, light animation, pixelation, 3D and 2D animation, music programming, painting, and filmmaking to express his ideas. At the core, Sai is a storyteller and has been using visual mediums to tell his stories. Though technology is an integral part of his work, he has been constantly pursuing ways and techniques to bring his work outside the computer and make it tactile. Some of his recent works cover visuals made out of music or gestures of performers. Welcome, Sai. Thanks. It sounds so much nice when someone reads it out like that. <laughs> I used to like read it, like you're just always proofreading it and checking if everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, thanks for uh, coming, all of you, and thanks for having me here. This is nice because I went through the site after the exi exhibition, and I really like all the abstract work, like all the work in there. And I feel like I can connect and I can tell you guys, like, uh, this is the place where I should be talking and sharing my work. I know, like, I, I work with Sophie and Derek. So, hi, Sophie, and so. And for the rest, I'm sure, like, uh, I'll get to know you guys. So, um, yeah, as uh, Joy said, like, uh, yeah, I'm pretty much a visual artist who's just exploring in ways how to express. And it's mostly been uh, drawing painting related, but then it obviously kept evolving to animation, uh, claymation, stop motion films and all. And um, so like over time, like I've, I've been into like performance, I've come to performance art now because I'm like wanting to uh, make real time films. So programming has let me do real time stuff, which is like more of a performance art at this stage. So my, my work currently would be considered as mixed performance art kind of thing. I don't really know how to say like uh, what exactly it comes under, but yeah. I saw, I try to paint sometimes and sometimes bring it to life kind of thing. So I'll share some of my latest stuff that I'm doing and like some projects uh, and I'll, um, like, and the project that is going on right now, it's a part like, it's a part where I'm exploring the uh, aleatoric music for in the scope of generative visuals. So for those who don't know what aleatoric, aleatoric music is when it's mostly chance music, though it has been composed but it is still left to it. There's a certain amount of improvisation. It's also like this, it, 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 it has its own organicness. So that's why I'm using computers to generate. So even if it is composed and organized by me, it will be, the computer will be going random with its own scope of randomness. So I'll today, actually the first time I'll be sharing it with some people. And I feel like this, that's why I'm kind of excited to show, show it to you guys about it. And uh, this project will be going on for another two months. And uh, by the end of it, I think I'll have a good performance. Maybe I'll reach out to all of you guys. But then let's see. I don't know where this goes. But uh, music is still a new way for me. So far, I've been working with musicians, like even Derek here. And uh, they do the music in, and I just come for the visual part of it. But uh, so now it's just like I've been playing music, but I really don't know. It's a lot of technical part that I have to take care of. So let's see. That's going to be it. Speaking from like music and me and Derek, we have this year started out of all the things, everything that's happening now, me and Derek have started a band called Cider, which is, uh, he codes the music and I code the visuals. So we've been performing and uh, I can share some of the documentation. I, I haven't documented the latest stuff that's on me, but uh, I'll, I'll share some of that. 
And um, yeah, actually, I'll just show some of these generative installation and performances that I've done. That will give a better idea of where this is going. In this case, now I'm pushing even making generative music, which is a new domain to me. So with that said, like if anybody has anything that they would like to share from their end, I would be more than happy later or like to get in touch about it. Um, so I'm just going to screen share and just like take you guys through like some glimpses of the project. Give me a minute to figure this stuff. Screen share. This so I guess you guys are getting just the window, right? Can you guys hear me? I'm seeing the window with some uh, text and like a play button. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, I'm good. So anyway, this is like, uh, this is, this is a project where like uh, the whole wall was, uh, if the musician is playing and I've like mapped it with him and it's, uh, this is a kind of This is a long video. You guys can check out my, all the, this, I'll share the links later maybe, but I'll just share like some things that will give an idea of what and how it works. Are you guys getting clean audio? I'll be trying to make some, I'll try to make something like that tonight. But again, I'm dealing with new, so this was a project that I did in India, which the whole wider world chance to map the whole wall. And um, yeah, I just went into the music audio reactive. This is uh, with, uh, this is with, this is the one I worked with Derek. And let's see, the audio is, I think, support from the top. <laughs> My, my whole, all my work is here on this project, like, so you guys can keep digging further and further, but yeah. Meanwhile, I'll just uh, take you through, like, just the top ones. This whole project is, uh, this was, I was going to have another performance, but just before the COVID hits of this one, this specific piece in San Diego. But uh, yeah, that's when I found out, we found out that, uh, yeah, COVID happened. So, I don't care about it. So this is still uh, a bit, uh, what do you call it, pre-planned, but a lot of my shows tend to be uh, improvised, like it's on the like it's getting generated as it goes. Can, uh, look, see the whole thing, all the, the complete show. Which are the links for this? 
and um, yeah, I'll, so yeah, that's pretty much like uh, I just thought that I uh, these are these are the kind of projects going forward. I'm also working with dancers and performers who are uh, uh, the, the video effects that I like uh, I'm using with them to do. Actually, yeah, there's one I can share. I did not. Um, yeah, I've got like yeah, and then I'll just show like I'll just show one example to play it in front of you guys. So this is from the current project. The music is composed from the current project. So the, the video was not planned. The music is the part that I composed and the video I just added later. But we The video is just something that I've been playing around and like these are the I can do all of this stuff live too but it's just given the situation I don't see like that would be happening anytime soon and um, yeah that's uh, pretty much me and the kind of stuff I do and the kind of stuff I plan to keep going and uh, I have uh, I can play around I don't know how much time I have but I can play around with some of the new music that is going on and I can like uh, play I can show like in what scope but that will be a better like as I said it's a but in another one month and a half, I'll be having a complete package performance kind of thing. But right now it's extremely just bits and pieces. I'm just like sharing this and doing this. I'm not sure where this is going as such. But uh, yeah, 
And with that said, like uh, I'm also like I spend a lot of time with the Kinect, so I'm hoping that I'll be able to use that, uh, but not really, not yet ready for that for today. So yeah, if there's any questions, anybody wants to talk about something or share something that you guys have done, send it around or something. I have a question, but I don't really know how to phrase it because that world is so foreign to me. But I'm kind of curious about how you time or how, like you say you improvise a lot of that. And I'm wondering what that looks, what improvisation looks like when you're coding okay. things. Oh, I see. Like, um, so like on my end, I'll speak for the, for, I've not coded music where the coding, uh, I'm still playing it today. Also I'll play, I'll play it here and it will be synthesized and that will be done. But the improvisation in terms of visuals, what will happen is like, for example, I uh, set certain parameters of something like the first video that I showed uh, to let's say how fast it goes around and like as it grows. So I don't really know what's going to happen. It is just programmed. It's just given a life of its own and it keeps moving around on its own. And uh, so I have to be there because sometimes the com computer just goes bonkers. So sometimes you just have to tone it down. Like, you know, sometimes it's just noise or something or it's just like, uh, yeah. So that's what I do on mine. Like in, and the improvisation part is because there's this certain the randomness is coming from the computer, right? So I'm just more or less, we're just guiding it as it's just going for like, uh, like even, uh, I, I, I think that there's a better conversation you can have with Derek. Maybe you can bring it up like how he, when like the music is done, he's still guiding it into a certain tone as he's going in there, you know? Then you play something and you just realize it's going too off and then you slowly tone it back inside. And then you try something new and you just go with the, this kind of thing. So similar in the visuals, I'll just keep adding new things as we're going on the fly kind of thing. And we're just controlling it, which uh, sometimes just letting it go is good. Some of the stimulations let you do it, but sometimes it just goes bonkers because uh, so a lot of uh, the stuff I've done is pretty much inspired from nature. Things that I start like bird swarms or stuff like that. It just like uh, give the natural like water, water stimulation and stuff. So like uh, then it just goes bonkers over the place. Like it just starts, it's just noise in front of you, which is not bad exactly, but at the same time, you don't really know what's happening. So that is the improvisation part of it. I'm curious of like, how how does the Bauhaus influence relate to the digital art and the digital tools that you use today? Uh, oh. I think their their kind of you know tool set was much different than what we have today. Oh yeah, I think I don't, so. One the major thing why I choose to like introduce that part is because I realized that my design school just had this thought when everybody is comes from different fields. And it's a collective, it is an additive thing, which is seldom even working in the industry. I realized that people do not realize that the product that one plus one is more always than one, one as an individual kind of thing. So which Bauhaus has the problem solving technique, even with the minimalism, we always are like caught by the visual aspect of it. But at the core level, it is how the, in, in the, in the minimalistic way, you solve a problem by taking an inspiration from another's flag. So in the first schools in Dessau and like in Germany, when the school were founded, they got plumbers, architects, architects, and all these from different fields, and then they brought you and presented problems. So today, when we in the tech, like even like every project that goes ahead, I really don't know what te technical aspect I'll be using. Like for like for example, this also I would be I was uh, the the current project that I'm working 
I know that I'm writing a paper on aleatoric music in the scope of generative visuals. So I know what like, and then I'm just researching as I go ahead and it's like, so I know what I, I have a certain vision about how it's going to go. So for that, I'm just going to take all the tool in the most simplest way to get to that piece. Like it could have like in the simplest form, if I have to, let's say, describe it. If you say that, if I have to extend and explain what my uh, final piece should be, maybe I can just doodle it on a pencil in the next 15 minutes and that will give an idea. But then now I'm just given that whole layer of being, making it more expressive. So just like, like just shortening what I added up the uh, totally is like, it's just adding the minimalistic way to get to the essential way to get to a, uh, to portray a product or a piece of art is the part that I'm taking in terms of obviously like computer is again a tool, which we sometimes like we it's, it has so many possibilities that we forget it is just the tool to the end. Like right now it's just really helping us to have this communication. But at the end of the communication is like conversation in the end, right? So in the same thing, when it comes for something that I'm making as a piece, like it's just the best way I can show something. Like, um, so like in like all the time I have been a motion artist, I've always thought I've been a motion because I could always see in movement. Like even my illustrations, then I had to make a comic strip out of it just because I could see the sequential thing. So now computers is the best deal that lets me do it. I'm using AR, like in a given thing. I've tried the classical uh, ones, like, you know, just playing around stuff. But um, yeah, it's again, I said, it's just a medium, like bring, answering the question like that way. But I'm glad like that's the first time I'm actually saying it out loud that way. <laughs> nice. Thanks. Thanks for having me guys. And Thank you, Sai. Feel free to get in touch if there's anything. Yeah, I really, really love your work. It's very, pretty much just blown away when I saw uh, the work that you had sent over. Uh, I love, you know, the use of the different mediums, uh, the two-dimensional, the digital art, the sound, the video elements. Uh, I think you're doing some amazing stuff. So I'm very happy to be working with you. Thanks. So would you like to introduce uh, Stephanie Choi? Yeah, I, I would. So Stephanie Bird's art practice includes video, new media, and interactive technologies. Bird is most noted for her interactive temporary public art installations that create empathy training experiences for the audience. These works are a hybrid of video and performance art that both disorient and reorient the viewer. Her work is both playful and sophisticated, drawing the viewer into active and often interactive engagement. Her practice aims to shed light on the complicated nature of communication within a contemporary culture where social stereotypes often define our interactions. Often her work confronts or undermines these stereotypes by turning the tables on traditional power relationships. She has received grants and support from groups such as Creative Capital of New York, Flux Projects, the Inlight Richmond Festival, Atlanta Celebrates Photography, and Idea Capital. Her work has been featured in such places as the Public Art Review Magazine, the Public Art Ar Archive, the Huffington Post, the Atlanta Journal Constitution, and Art Papers Magazine. Bird's work is held in the permanent collections of the Museum of Contemporary Art of Georgia, the Columbus Museum of Art American Art, and the Diane Merritt Collection and Trust. She received her BFA in photography from Georgia State University in 2008. 
She holds a master's degree in visual art from the University of California, San Diego, with an emphasis in new media, art, and technology. Bird is currently a visiting assistant professor in experimental media art at the University of Arkansas. She is a former lecturer in the Digital Arts Division of the Claire Trevor School of the Arts at the University of California, Irvine. And she is also a former lecturer within the Interdisciplinary Computing and the Arts, ICAM major at the Visual Arts Department at the University of California, San Diego. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think I sent you like the super long version of that. Sorry. <laughs> Right. Um, it's nice to meet some UC Davis people that I feel like that's one of the campuses that when I was in San Diego that I, I missed you guys that I didn't um, that I was at uh, UC Irvine as an adjunct for a little bit in their um, digital arts area but I never made it to UC Davis and um, um, Derek I heard that you were coming to UC San Diego was that for the music department uh, not me Oh, I thought you uh, said you were so. going to play. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was, was that UC San Diego in the music department or? Yeah. I think you're muted. The last performance that I shared over there was uh, supposed there's a new performance in like in March, supposed to be in March. Over in the, like their black box? Uh, I don't know what the space is called. It is not, uh, I mean, as I said, like, I don't, I, I didn't, I never got there. So I didn't really get a chance to. Right. Yeah. Well, well, hopefully you get to go back. They're really good people over there. There's some really, really wonderful people in their department. So, okay. um, well, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. And it's really nice to see what everybody, um, what everybody does and such really, um, lovely and diverse practice and, um, getting to know the organizers. I appreciate you guys. Uh, making this happen and creating this. I didn't realize that this space was created for the era of COVID. So I appreciate that of um, being strategic and um, creating new opportunities for people in digital spaces. So I appreciate that. All right. So I'm going to flip my screen around and I want to contextualize some of what I do here. And let's go to the desktop. Look good, you guys can see. All right. So I just wanted to start with um, an overview of my practice and sort of what it is that I do. Um, that the beginning of my career that I started out as a photographer. So I actually um, was trained as a classic black and white photographer and spent my early uh, years in the darkroom. And um, from there, I was really interested in this notion of adding elements of time and sound. Again, experimenting with um, forms of single channel uh, video art pieces and you know, kind of dipping my toe into that world. And it's sort of funny with the types of work that I'm doing these days, I'm very much uh, identify as like a techie and uh, was really a, a traditionalist and resisted it for such a long time. And then when I was making video works that I felt very frustrated by the notion that all of the decisions were made in advance. That it was, it almost started to feel like 
Um, after working as a photographer for many years, it started to feel like there was something that was missing and then the shift to video work. And then again, I started to feel that frustration of there's something that I don't have here. And I, I was missing that element of uh, the unknown. And then I started to work on very large scale um, experimental public art pieces, like the piece that's uh, featured here, the project from 2011. And really, this is much of what I'm known for these large scale temporary um, experimental, experimental public art pieces. Uh, the project I Go Humble, that that particular example, that it features um, four television monitors and it's a live video feed back and forth. So people on the street that are passing by and they're seeing a live video feed of four performers that are situated uh, inside of this building out of sight. And the four performers, uh, it was two gay identified men and two women and their instructions were to cat call all of the men that walked by the storefront. And the location of this piece was directly across from a park in downtown Atlanta where there was a culture of catcalling. And you knew as a woman or a female identified person that if you traverse through the space that the likelihood was very high that you would be catcalled. And so I created this piece to respond to this and create what I describe as an empathy training experience. So to put people on the opposite receiving end of, of inappropriate social behaviors that they typically wouldn't experience in their day to day life. Um, now, I thought that work was very successful, um, very exciting, but at the same time, it was very challenging work and it was putting the performers on the receiving end of sometimes very hostile behavior. And it wasn't something that I felt was ethical of me as an artist to do. And that led me to UC San Diego where I did my master's studies. And uh, I was looking for ways to create forms of interactivity, but using things like code and sensors to be able to do it. And this particular project, um, that this is an almost a full 360 panoramic screen that's actually touch responsive. And it was creating um, what I later refer to as digital circuits. So these um, pre-recorded characters that create an opportunity to engage with them either haptically or uh, through proximity-based sensors and creating these interactive, responsive, um, psychologically charged installations. And the type of work that I'm doing now, uh, like the one in the bottom corner, is I've started collaborating with people from the hard sciences. So people from neuroscience. Um, I'm working on a project right now that is um, dealing with um, the impact of white nose syndrome on the local bat population in Arkansas. And this was actually pre-COVID. And so it's been, in, in the beginning, it was looking at the ways that humans have impacted uh, wildlife habitat. And now it's, it's become also an investigation into how they are also impacting us, this like two-way street. Uh, the pieces that I submitted for this show is I submitted uh, this project, Cacophony, 24-hour news cycle. And um, I'll play a little bit, um, I'll play a short sample and then I'll talk about it.
And so this piece is, is really a conceptual gesture that all of the sounds that you're listening to, and it's actually six different speakers, uh, and it's meant to be presented in a darkened space and that to be able to hear the sound, you have to stand in the middle, which is a, a spotlight overhead, um, that all of the sound for this, for this piece, that it comes from news reportage about mass shootings in America. Uh, it starts with Columbine and it ends with the Sandy Hook shooting. And um, all of the words of the reportage have been removed. And it was thinking about these, these moments of the breath and the pause when, you know, they're reporting, they're reporting, and they take this, this moment to catch their breath. Uh, and this for me is what I refer to as my penance piece that I actually, uh, for several years, worked at a um, news organization. And um, one of the agencies that I, I service was CNN, and it was being behind the scenes and being one of the people that were actually generating this media that I felt was um, very problematic uh, on many levels in terms of the way that these stories were being reported. And uh, I, I was hearing the way that these stories were being, being shaped and I, I felt um, very complicit in how these narratives were being, um, being told. And uh, so I was thinking about this, these moments of, uh, also the speakers in these darkened rooms functioning like the, that they themselves were um, speaking and functioning like the people that were um, doing the reporting. And I, I think about Janet Cardiff's piece, 40 Part, 40 Part Motet, and where her project was very much about humanity uh, at its best and our, 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 us at our most um, transcendent and ethereal that I think about this piece as humanity at its worst. So. Uh, and the other project that I submitted was this one, True Love. Um, and this is meant to be seen, uh, it's typically shown as a projection, but it's a single channel video and it, it's layers of these two uh, American bald eagles that their mating ritual is that they lock talents, they actually start tumbling towards the ground. And if these eagles don't complete this ritual that they if they don't separate in time that they actually will crash into the ground and it will kill both of them uh, but if they complete the ritual and they separate in time that they become a bonded pair for life and the sound for this piece is uh, a deconstructed version of the song true love waits by radiohead and um, for anybody that knows the story of the band this is kind of like a very infamous song for them and it was initially written at the beginning of the relationship between Tom York and the woman that would later they would you know get married and have kids um, and it starts out as something very hopeful and something very beautiful and it was never recorded it was this kind of secret song um, and it wasn't until the end of their relationship that it was recorded and it becomes something very different it's very um, melancholic because it marks the end of their uh, union and, and it's I think within the year after the song was finally recorded that she uh, passed away from cancer. So here's a short excerpt.
the, one of the most important things I forgot to say was that there are two instances of the melody. And as this piece continues that uh, they start out relatively in sync and as it plays, they fall further and further out of sync with another. So, yeah. That's it. That's what I got. <laughs> Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. Um, does anybody have any questions for Stephanie or sure. want to <laughs> get? So like, um, I've noticed like a lot of your uh, pieces deal with like human interaction recontextualized through digital media and like with like cacophony is sort of like human breaths. Or oh, it's with like uh, like with the cat calling thing. It's like live mediated yeah. through like digital media, and like kind of find that interesting. Like especially, I guess like even now we're communicating like mediated through digital media. I was wondering your thoughts on all of that and how it relates to your practice. I'd say that's the central. That's been the central theme is how how does digital mediation affect how we empathetically connect and communicate with mm. other human beings? Uh, like the, the slide from the first image that was from a project I did titled Troll. And it's yeah. about that that sign would actually interact with people in real time that had a webcam attached to it. And the people that were operating the sign would perform as internet trolls. Um, so talking about what happens when we take bad behavior that typically exists in internet spaces and we put it in public space. So that's always the, the main thing that I go back to of, of um, barriers of empathy, uh, both social and technological, and how did those two things interact? Like, what is the interplay between those things? Cool. Because, like, I guess there's like a, I swear, like, like a distancing, like an anonymity, like with like the screen and like us, but it's still like a connection of some sort. It's still like communication. And it's still human beings on the other side. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah. you know, it's neither all good nor all bad, that it's fantastic that you get to meet and connect in, in real time with so many different people yeah. from so many different places. Uh, but I don't know if you saw, there was a really great article that came out, I think a couple of weeks ago, it was floating around. It was talking about why people are so exhausted from after their Zoom meetings. Mm -hmm. We read that, they're fascinating. Yeah. And it talks about how our brain is trying so hard to recognize where should we be focusing because our brain is used to processing all this nonverbal interaction and um, and right when you're in these digitally mediated spaces like your, your brain is trying to process and function the way that it's used to but it, it doesn't work the same in these types of spaces mm. uh, and that it it's really fatiguing Awesome. I'd like to see a, a link to that or something. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. It's a awesome. really good one. It was basically explaining um, for um, those of us who've had to teach in this method of like why we're all so exhausted and extra burnt out and yeah. waiting for it to be done. Cool. Yeah. Does that exhaustion mean that we're learning how to do it? Is that included in the article? I have to think how long has this form of digitally mediated communication existed? I mean, it's so brand new. I mean, it's, it's going to be a while before um, 
before we catch up to it. I, I always love when I talk about um, virtual reality technologies, you know, the, the old, like the film school example of the people in the theater and the train that's coming at the camera and the Victorian audiences, when they saw it, everybody jumps out of the way. Yeah. But to, to us now, it just seems so um, comical to have that sort of a reaction. But I think, you know, there wasn't any sort of way to do brain scans of Victorians, but I, I, I would just guess based on neuroplasticity that, you know, it's like that anecdotal evidence about people that are um, digital natives, like how they're so adaptive to these forms of technologies because as they've been growing up that they've been engaging with it. And so their brains are wired in such a way that they know how to process it. But like, you know, people like me that it's, you know, who remember the before times, it's a different experience. I guess the main difference is like, I guess the volume of information, like we have had like telephone before and like, I guess like telegraph way back then, but now, now it's just like the amount of information we can take in. And I don't know, I guess maybe with the quantity, maybe it feels like a little depersonal, depersonalizing or I don't know. I also wonder if we're yeah. taking it in, right? Like, yeah. I think most of it's just flashing before our eyes. Yeah. And we're like, I did some research online and found out yeah. that number, 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 brain farts done. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't really take an in information like that. I think I, <laughs> I watched like an interesting video called The Fox Effect, how uh, Fox News had basically introduce metadata into what we now recognize as, uh, you know, uh, news information. So like tickers and, uh, yes. you know, uh, two, three, four lower third bars of information and how this flood kind of decentralizes us from, you know, focusing on uh, what is what is valuable information in a stream or feed. And really, uh, I'm not really like that. Like someone who considers himself like technologically savvy, but a visual artist or a visual artist who's technologically savvy, I, I really need like a, just an image. You know, I can really relate to things on a one-to-one -one basis, whether it's um, a, a line of text or an image, a video. Um, but I think like today's society, um, they're so inculcated in having this flood of information that um yeah i'm not i'm not sure like we can really focus the way um our brains want us to and, and i think that's it's kind of troubling because we you know we're always like off our center um, one thing i did really like about uh the video is um my partner and i always talk about how when we got together, we felt like we had like the sword of Democles uh, above us, you know, with a young family and uh, so much to look forward to. And, you know, I could really relate to those eagles. Um, one, one thing people might feel is like when you find someone that you really love and you, you want to spend the rest of your life with them, you think you're going to ascend, right? But from whatever perspective you're looking at, um, you could be falling or, or ascending. Um, is that my partner likes to make the reference to uh, uh, poltergeist where the family is like 
holding hands and they're floating through the ether uh, escaping uh, I don't know is it America is it like the evil spirit or something but uh, I really uh, could relate to that piece but it's a tricky one because the eagles that depending on how you look at that one it, it can be about this very beautiful idealized version of romantic love but it can also be about the um that if the two of those eagles don't separate in time to maintain their autonomy to that they will actually it will kill them so i almost feel like that piece is talking about love with healthy boundaries <laughs> of like, <laughs> right of like love that still has boundaries of like people that are still still two independent entities um to preserve their own um like not a complete and total merging it's like emerging for a little bit and then the separation and then coming together again that's the interesting thing about like western culture is like our definition of love is the union of yes. two into a we uh however like if you don't have those boundaries um the the, the structure or the foundation that the we stands on is a little more shaky uh, mm -hmm. because you know you have to have that autonomous um, strength within each of you to basically hold each other up or support each other so it's it's really a good metaphor for like relationships I, I would say mm -hmm. on the true love thing I was actually curious uh, where did the canoning idea come from was it like a Steve Reich thing or you know what? I love the writing that you did. Yeah. Um, so I, I come from definitely like lens-based yeah. world. And uh -huh. So I'm kind of the opposite. It's like I'm, I'm yeah. lens-based world and I'm going deeper into sound world and just like yeah. really, really falling in love with um, right now, like Pauline Oliveros. It's like, oh, awesome. yeah. that's all I want to listen to. That's all the I want to <laughs> Right. But, um, but I was looking more when you mentioned yeah. – um, phase music and steve reich yeah. and i um wasn't as familiar with his work oh, okay. but now it's like and i look more at it it's like oh wow this is such yeah. an amazing <laughs> body of work so um yeah guess, so I'm, I'm playing catch up to yeah. your world oh, okay right now. <laughs> i guess like as a musician like that was like that was the thing that immediately popped in my head i was like hesitant to write it because it like seemed like a little too cliche to mention him but like, that was like, great like yeah, the tape great. works like just like just like the tape works having like two pieces like the same tape and just like going mm -hmm. at different speeds so like they create these interesting patterns and that's like the same sort of thing well, like and like what you do with like uh, true love voids mm -hmm. yeah i really liked that i appreciated that <laughs> reference cool. i did i really did yeah awesome thank you stephanie thank you So next, we're gonna move on to uh, Jeff Mayry and Tavares having conversation about Jeff's work. Welcome, Jeff. Can Tavares. You, can you can you hear me right now? Yeah, gotcha. So uh, Jeff Mayry is um, a visual artist, a painter uh, in the Sacramento area. Uh, he's a graduate of the MA program at California State University, Sacramento, and the MFA program at UC Davis. Uh, he's an award winner. I received the, the Faye Nelson Award in Painting. Uh, I've known Jeff for a number of years and have been 
following his work. Uh, we used to have a studio in the same building um, back in like 2014, 2013, 2014. Uh, he exhibits widely uh, in the area and uh, I invited him as a guest to uh, basically have a conversation about some of the things that makes him tick as an artist and you know kind of curious like what it means to like make work now so here's jeff so uh yeah i think um i'm curious when did you know that you were a visual artist and was that a difficult decision to make um i mean i wouldn't say it was a difficult decision i mean I think I started like drawing and stuff just like anybody else really just like for entertainment as a kid, you know? And then I think like in middle school, like I wanted to be a political cartoonist, which is kind of random. And then when I started college, I was into animation. And then, you know, eventually I just, you know, did the least like, uh, I don't know, thing where you can actually make money and just really got into painting. And then it just became a, like a huge part of my life that really just dominated my life, I guess. And why painting? I mean, we've seen some artists today, Cy and Stephanie, um, kind of embracing digital culture and painting having such a long uh, history. Um, what is it about the two-dimensional medium or is it something about the quality of paint itself that drew you to, to painting? Well, I mean, I think it is the quality of paint, but I also think it's like the improvisational nature of painting, you know, like something that's kind of like more immediate, um, like something that doesn't, that doesn't require planning, you know, like something that I, I can just like dive straight into and just start, you know, basically morphing it into, you know, whatever it becomes really. I notice like you have a lot of references to um, food in your work. For example, this, the title of this piece, Pear Tree. Um, can you talk a little bit about like, Oh yeah. Where's that, where's that come from? Really? I mean, throughout all the years that I've been painting, like there's kind of like reoccurring imagery that just seems to pop up like over and over again. Um, and I mean, sometimes it's almost, unconscious thing like it's just something that actually happens so I started to see those things as being like well I mean like things that I would call signs I guess essentially but um I guess like on a deeper level like those signs are just kind of like parts of myself that I just can't really get away from like you can try to you know step outside of what's familiar or you know, get in your own way to make something kind of like a, a brand new journey, but there's these like parts of you that just keep appearing over and over again in, in your work. How does the, the cube come into to play? Uh, this is kind of like a, I'd say like a Western kind of motif, the, the cube, um, we have like, I mean, there's, you know, references to cubism or, or even going as far back as like uh, checkered floor patterns in painting. Like, 
what does a cube mean to you? And then like, how does that relate to this contemporary moment? Uh, well, and I don't know if this will answer the question, but I mean, for me personally, like that was just like a desperate moment basically in the painting, like really kind of like thinking like on like such a grassroots level of like something where you're thinking like, this isn't really something that I would do, but it's like a good, you know, to provide order, I guess, in the painting. Can you talk about like, um, like I paint, I'm, I make paintings and, uh, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm definitely feeling what you're talking about when you say like improvisation or, or getting, getting going, getting the hand moving. And then also what you're talking about, like devices and work. Um, so how do you combine like the idea of improvisation and geometry uh, when you're composing work? Um. I guess just by trying to make it as much of a frenzy as I possibly can. Um, like trying to take it in a, a direction that kind of like transcends like simple geometry or something that, you know, keeps you, I guess, like moving across the work or like um, through like the simplistic nature of like a cube or discovering like something different. I guess that's what I would say. I like I like you saying like uh, frenzy, and then reading this title here, and then kind of s seeing this uh, indication of in a moment of affection. Um, I'm curious about like romance and frenzy, and like are they related? Are they connected? Are they are they like can they not be separated? Like what is your what's your take on like romance frenzy and then like um, how that relates to what you're doing uh well i mean to me i don't really think it can be separated you know like um i guess in terms of like feeling something i you know like you're always like chasing the dragon like trying to recreate some kind of moment or have some sort of new or different experience um and i mean that's the same way i feel about romance i guess like you just keep wanting like like having and wanting more i guess essentially out of something you feel like that's how you um think about painting is like oh totally always wanting more <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's like an addiction kind of you know what i mean mm -hmm. like even when you're not doing it you're thinking about it and i mean i don't know how it is for you but i mean if something makes you feel good you're just kind of like hooked on that thing and I mean, the good thing with painting is, you know, it's also like a process of self-discovery too. So it's definitely a, like a good addiction. Like that doesn't be like a, you know, like a negative thing or anything like that. Do you find that you're learning more about yourself or the self during the process of making, or is it, does it come like after, after you're like looking at the work or living with it and reflecting on it? Um, I mean, I, I think it goes both ways, but I mean, I also think like, you know, like sometimes you might feel like you're losing yourself too when you're doing it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know when you feel like you're not getting what you need or like, I mean, once you've been doing something for so long, it's like, you know, incredibly difficult sometimes. 
and I mean, it's like everything else, it takes more and more to like, you know, get the feeling that you want out of it. But I mean, yeah. it's always there, like you can struggle through that, you know? Yeah, it's definitely, do you think it's like, a, are you having a relationship with painting? Are you having a relationship yeah, well, with your, with your it's work? Like a, <laughs> it's like a relationship because essentially, um, like my greatest asset, like I guess with painting is like a willingness to just like, you know, sit there <laughs> until you make something happen, you know? A commitment to not, you know, backing out, I guess. So I've noticed like, like movements in your work. Like when we first started hanging out uh, in the art sculpture lab, um, you were making a transition from work that was abstract with representational elements that the canvases and the picture plane was very active. There was a uh, very heavy impasto, a lot of texture, lush color. And uh, I've seen you kind of make a transition to less representation in the work to color fields. And now I'm seeing a, a little bit of combination of both, like work that like the, the one with the uh, kiss at the river. So basically some representational elements with abstraction and then here, a strawberry collage, like this, this is like a fully abstract field. So can you talk about like moving in and out of, um, let's say like uh, languages in your work and what that means to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess like the simplest way to put it is like, I mean, I, I paint things that I'm interested in, you know? Um, and that's why I jump around a lot, you know, so sometimes the paintings are figurative and like sometimes they're abstract, but I mean, in my opinion, even like something that becomes, you know, the most like nameless thing is still, you know, figurative just simply based on the fact that it has to do with, you know, human existence, you know, like physical or even psychological, you know. You think, you think the, the artist, in, in this regard, the painter is creating form even when there's no, no seeming uh, form? Or does that just, is, that, is it just simply an extension of having been made by a human? Or, or is, it, is it imbued in the work uh, by, you know, the material or the essence of the form? Um. Could you say that again? Sorry. I so mean, I feel like there's you think you it. think you bring? Are you bringing form to uh, work when there's no, let's say, representation? Um, how do you how do you think about like, let's say, a work that is like more abstract, or even like a color field, um, you know, with with no recognizable elements? We're we're looking at color, we're looking at sometimes shape, sometimes just stroke or gesture, um, like how do these, uh, how do these um, forms become, I guess my question is how do they become something that we can relate to? Oh, hmm. I don't know. I guess just simply being made by a human, like I said earlier, 
thing. But I mean, because that like has with like audience a lot, which is like something that I like feel like I almost don't necessarily understand because after you spend so much time with like you know this one thing that you're making and like you become so close to it that I almost feel like I don't know what a first impression would actually be you know for someone else you know because if I mean if I live with something for like two weeks to a month and basically you know it from being like completely white space to like you know something different altogether like it almost feels like there's really no in between for me. So, yeah, I think that's just a matter of being like so close to it that you don't understand what it would be like for someone to see something, you know, for the first time and whether or not that thing would actually make sense or if they're just like, what is this? Like this mess, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I really like that kind of uh way to think about it. Uh, I think like artists are definitely, trying to create surprise in work. Um, I think that's the one thing that definitely distinguishes what contemporary artists are doing now as opposed to what artists, you know, did um, in previous generations. Um, specifically, when you look at uh, painting, where everything was uh, structured in such a way that it wouldn't be surprising in any shape or form um how much does surprise play a role in your work um do you surprise yourself and if you were to consider an audience or a viewer are you looking to surprise them with something um that they or you perhaps didn't anticipate um yeah i mean i'm always looking for like something unfamiliar to happen or like the construction of something that would be completely different than how you know, I would start a painting. Um, but I mean, surprising, like, the viewer, like, I'm not, like, I don't think about that so much. Um, yeah. This Dreamhouse uh, work uh, really struck me. Um, and I think this is, like, a motif that I'm really drawn to is, like, like the eye. Um, and I checked out this uh, interesting um, article. Uh, it's, it's from the University of Michigan's, uh, I think it's like a definition of symbolism on the eyes. And it says, eyes are probably the most important symbolic sensory organ. They can represent clairvoyance, omniscience, and or a gateway into the soul. Other qualities that eyes are commonly associated with are intelligence, light, vigilance, moral conscience, and truth. Looking someone in the eye is a Western custom of honesty. So I'm like, this piece here is like, uh, like two walls of, of eyes. And I'm, I'm curious, like, how much about truth and what is true and what isn't what you're honestly expressing like um, is this like an expression of um, honesty in some like subconscious way or like a truth seeking or like uh, like the artist's way of expressing like 
the unique uh, role they play as a participants in culture. And I, I know I might be projecting some things and perhaps um, you didn't have the luxury of also reading that definition. So maybe a, a simpler question would be, um, what, what does the I mean to you in your work and um, what kind of inspired this piece? Well, I mean, I like the gateway to the soul thing. I've definitely like heard that and thought about that too. Um, but I mean, the I also like kind of contains like you know a vast spectrum of emotion, really. Like you can see, just freezing. Like I couldn't, I could talking, but you're <laughs> and like the whole thing just crashed. That's okay. Oh, so my question was, um, do you think artists are honest? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, maybe not, but it also feels like it might be tough to like, you know, avoid honesty. Like, uh, I remember reading this like John Curran interview where he said like, the is all in the fakery, you know, trying to be disingenuous. You're actually probably, you know, being the most honest that you could be. I don't know. Interesting. Well, um, let me see. Let me uh, go through. There's only a couple more images here. Let me see if I could bring up just one to two more, and then we'll uh, end the discussion. Um, so, yeah, I definitely want to uh, ask you about, like, color. And I don't want to ask, like, a, a simple question, but, like, do you have a love affair with color? Um, or, or is it like, is it, yeah, do you have a love affair with color? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way of saying it, but also, like, I mean, I was thinking about it today and I just feel like, um, like all colors look good together, you know? Like, I don't think there has to be any, like, scientific reasoning behind, like, picking something or, like, you know, overanalyzing something. It's more like you just put one next to the other and, like, it just miraculously looks good and then another one changes it and you just keep going, you know? This is a question that I would ask, like, every uh, every person I, like, had a crush on in grade school, I'd ask them, like, what's what's your favorite color so uh, i guess I'll, I'll ask you now like what what's your favorite color um uh definitely pink i would say good good one i feel like you <laughs> yeah pink pink is definitely i don't really think it's underrated i just think it it's uh misinterpreted i think it's yeah. definitely a powerful color people associate it with like party or something but really it just goes off in so many different directions like the most versatile you know color yeah i i don't think i could pull off like a i don't know a, a pink top for me would be tough but i like, definitely <laughs> fill the canvas i fill the canvas with pink um, so one last question. Um, so we talked about like food in the work. So there's been like, you know, titles that have referenced like strawberries, uh, work that is referenced like pear tree. Uh, there's like this, um, 
notion of romance or embrace or intimacy in the work. Um, what does the tiger, uh, how does the tiger play into all of this? Because I've, I've seen some other work that has uh, sculptural qualities uh, of like uh, cute, cool uh, tigers. And then this piece here, you know, seems to be talking about multiple things, not just animals. But I'm interested like how, how this animal, the tiger, uh, plays into uh, your work. Um, I mean, the tiger just kind of came about like a conversation that I had with my friend Kelly about like anxiety and she just described it as like the tiger that chases you around. And I was like, um, I don't know, it just stuck with me. And so I just started, you know, painting them or like you were saying, the sculptures, the little tiger guys. Yeah, which that I started making those little tiger sculptures when I didn't have a studio. So I was just kind of like making these little paper tigers in my bedroom. I don't know. Do you have any pictures of the paper tigers? Um, or do you have any paper tigers on hand? I don't have any here. Yeah, we don't have them. Uh, so Jeff had a uh, exhibition recently that he presented some of them with uh, some paintings. Um, definitely maybe share those at some point, maybe put them on the website or something. Yeah, um, I can send you images of them. Yeah. I don't kind of like technologically disadvantaged, so I'm trying to... <laughs> Well, thank you for having this uh, talk with us. Um, it was nice for me. I never really, I don't know, maybe uh, I never really had the chance to ask um, questions about about the work. I think when we're, you know, in the studio together, it's like, oh yeah, like this color goes that way. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this paint here, you know, like it's working or, you know, but uh, it's nice to you know have a conversation uh, about about the work. So, I have, I have a question for Jeff. So, Jeff, um, I went to Sacramento State as well, and I'm looking at your paintings. And I look at and I see Tavares's work, and I just see like before I walked into that place, I've been painting like for like 15 years. But when I walked out of that place, the idea of color and the idea of shape my whole world totally changed and I was wondering and you're in this like three like was it a three room or two room building forever right and the yeah. work that is built is pretty amazing I think yeah I enjoyed looking at your work but I can totally see that the influence of I don't know if I don't know if it was the influence of the teachers or we just like chose that place to go to but it's really, it's really nice work. And everybody comes out of, I mean, it, it's a really big color lovers. Yeah, I, th I think it's a combination of all that. I think it's like kind of feeding off other people. And then it's like Tom Montana, Sarah Floor and Ian Harvey. You know, all those people who push color. Like, uh, yeah, they were, they were harsh, right? Yeah. They were harsh on each other too. 
Yeah, I think everyone's harsh on everything. <laughs> <laughs> they were harsh. Yeah, yeah, I just I just curated the uh, MA thesis exhibition, and it's another really great group. Um, they have you know several painters. The work is amazing, and yeah. they're they're very much into color. So I think it's like one of those things. It's like a combination of the the place, you know, being in that building, uh, the faculty, and uh, maybe it's I don't know, maybe it's that drinking fountain right there <laughs> uh, with the water. I'm not sure what it is. It's like putting out. Uh, yeah. Okay. Does anyone else want to address uh, Jeff? Well, thank you. Yeah, totally. Thank you. So I think uh, Joy and Derek and myself are gonna just have a discussion about insights from after before, uh, things that stood out to us. Uh, yeah, you wanna jump in, Derek or Joy? I think, well, just kind of working through the writing, one thing that really stood out to me and then later looking at everything because we were preparing this last last week, we were putting everything together two weeks ago. Time is a waterfall that I can't keep track of, but um, just with the escalation of kind of Trump and the protests and the pandemic, it seemed so difficult like all of the work seemed so bound up in the moment that was happening, even if it was made in a different moment. And, um, and it just felt like this escalation of really interesting work and then really crazy, bizarre news and things changing and upheaval. And I, I felt really grateful to have the excuse to focus on art and be able to think about those things through a back pipeline in my brain to process them on a different level a little bit. Yeah. Isn't that like art is like half like what artists brings to it, but half like what the audience brings to it as well. And like call art is contextual and how we experience it and changes throughout time is how we experience art throughout time changes. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like uh I think like the first exhibition I was very much focused on meeting the moment, you know, like uh school closing uh, businesses going uh, bankrupt, people out of work, art not being deemed essential, um, you know, and then throughout this last uh, exhibition after before, and, you know, I like to note that, you know, Joy, and Derek and myself were like messaging each other at like 3 a.m. 
the night before <laughs> the launch. It, you know, especially with, you know, being an African-American, like, you know, witnessing the, the, the murder of George Floyd and like uprising and protests across the globe. It, it definitely provided me an opportunity to like focus on what I feel, um, you know, does make me, you know, who I am and that's being an artist. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful to the artists like in this challenging time, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're on the heels of, um, the virus, um, cases are going up, you know, uh, I think it's affecting you know, the, the, the world right now, but people are still, you know, participating in the process of art making, such as submitting work, exhibiting. And I'm just really grateful to, you know, work with, uh, artists, um, ones that I know and ones that I'm meeting for the first time. And, uh, yeah, it was nice to be able to, to just work, you know, and, um, uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm grateful for that. It's like, uh, I guess, uh, like, um, bridging of like, uh, people, you know, like all these different, like, uh, places maybe like not experiencing the same things we are and like uh i guess bring people together and bring people in like this shared space who wouldn't be able who wouldn't be connected in any other way yeah i was like super happy to get work from uh tachana sogorov and uh julia seri like julia is from italy and tachana's from serbia and uh tachana's been like emailing me and, and, you know, like communicating back and forth on, on the exhibition. And, um, you know, he's really, really happy with it and, and being included. And, you know, I feel like as someone who, who goes to, you know, exhibitions in my hometown at museums and commercial galleries, I would say like, it's the first, this art music lit space is the first time I'm able to see someone from, you know, <clears throat> Sacramento and Serbia in the same exhibition or Italy and Arkansas, you know, in the same exhibition. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to make those connections. And I think like, you know, Sai has mentioned this um, tonight and in our other talks about like networking, you know, I'm happy to, you know, be working on a project that is connecting like artists from you know, my alma maters, Sac State and UC Davis with artists from other institutions. And Stephanie mentioned that um, in her talk. And yeah, I think like, you know, COVID-19 is bad enough. And, uh, you know, the protests that are happening right now is just like adding another layer, but it's nice that, you know, we could all be here now and uh, do these things that we do, which is, you know, be critical, uh, be compassionate, and you know participate in the exchange of culture you know it's it's not it's not like a small thing you know it's like uh i think like at least for me personally like being able to meet like Sai and sophia like this uh middle of the desert in california and like 
working with them and like taking this opportunity to like see him in a whole different light like i got to see like size playful size for all his all, all his animations and like see sophie and like see her like um like take places like that i've lived in and like been at in like bombay beach in new york and seeing that we share like the same maybe the same sorts of like um views on these places and just like being able to see him in different contexts, I think, and like enriches our relationships and like, like, and it wouldn't exist for our music lit space and like being able to share like, like them with like a greater community through this like art music lit space thing. I guess like, I guess to tie it to like after before, it's like meeting them before and like getting like a whole new context on them afterwards I think like uh, it wouldn't really exist without like I guess the power of the internet and virtual spaces and this whole platform that we have right here yeah I'm like super happy about yeah. this support you know like <clears throat> I've always I mean I guess I've vacillated but like <laughs> there's been times when I was reluctant about <clears throat> online exhibitions um, yet at the same time, during a, a moment in American history where galleries, museums, recital halls, theaters, art spaces, collectives don't have access to their space, it seemed like, you know, a virtual um, space was necessary, basically. And, you know, not, not only is it great that uh, we're able to... Um, work together in this respect but um that this kind of otherwise diminutive form of visual art communication the internet or online or the screen uh you know is actually providing a lifeline in this moment for like people who can't otherwise exhibit you know i think a lot of the people that i talk to and even my gallery in town uh you know we are, we are somewhat behind in our response to the community's desire for um, art. I think people may want to go to exhibits, but you know, as a collective, we're trying to figure out how do we do that in a brick and mortar location with COVID-19 restrictions, you know, but with Art Music Lit Space, it's like we cut all of that like down, like, uh, shortly after the first stay-at-home order in California, uh, we were already on production uh, with our musical space. So I'm happy that people are embracing it. I know it it might not be the uh, the first choice, but um, I think like moving forward, it's. I mean, me me and Derek and Joy are like planning ahead, but I th I think like. I think it has an opportunity to take traction, you know, as things develop, uh, I think that, uh, you know, a space like this is going to be, is going to, is going to be helpful, you know, where, um, other things, you know, are going to be difficult. Like, are we really going to go to galleries with face masks? I mean, and, and, and if not, like, when is the moment when we can safely reenter you know, the museum or whatever.
Well, and it's also like, I guess, um, I guess bring like the art that wouldn't like reach people normally to like a whole new audience. And it's, it's, it's like virtual space, it's its own space in its own, maybe. And this is opportunity for a virtual space to come into being and be legitimized as its own thing. I think that it's also, I mean, like making it more widely acceptable for a virtual space, more acceptable for a wider audience now, just because of the pandemic, which is for me really new, but also pretty exciting because I mean, while you and Stephanie were talking about intimacy and screens and kind of mediated relationships, I was thinking a lot about, and then when, when Stephanie brought up that article about how we're doing different, really different brain work and learning how to function socially in these virtual spaces, I was just thinking about in some ways it's it feels really intimate like we're all like many of us are newbies or i'm in I'm, i think a lot of people are newbies in these spaces who aren't techie people not that newbie is a great word for it but um and i think also that we're kind of what it could potentially do or i mean maybe this was the dream of the internet all along outside of capitalism, but just like the democratization of culture sharing, right? And and maybe as this becomes a more kind of conventionalized medium of sharing work, perhaps like it won't be viewed in a hierarchy of the best place to see work is in a museum or in person. And like granted, I definitely want to see Nancy Holt's sculptures in the desert with vast space all around me but I also kind of think that there is this very intimate thing happening when I see it alone in a room and in some ways the intimacy becomes really different and in some ways more intense when it's with when I'm seeing it in a room by myself, but I'm accompanied by these faces on a screen, some of whom I'm just meeting. And I really lost the whole point of my segue, but it's very exciting. <laughs> I was wondering if anybody else wanted to share their thoughts on this. Yeah, if anyone's if anyone's uh, seen the exhibition, uh, yeah, please feel free to add any uh, comments about you know what stood out to you or what you found exciting. Otherwise, we might start to wrap it on up here. Thanks for sharing that article, Stephanie. Yeah, thank you everybody for uh, coming tonight. Thank you to uh, those who presented, Cy, Stephanie, uh, guest artists, uh, Jeff, Mary, 
Um, super excited about the exhibition. Um, like we mentioned at the beginning of the program, uh, our next call is Methods of Negotiation. The deadline is uh, August 3rd. Um, those of you who, who are uh, here tonight who have exhibited with us before, feel free uh, to exhibit uh, again or um, share our you know exhibitions and videos audio files with your network uh, super uh, excited about expanding you know those who participate in the project and we're also doing a pretty regular monday midnight show so if you have new video or new performance works or sci we'd love to have whatever video you were going to do tonight, um, reach out to us and we're running podcasts and we have a Vimeo channel that we're distributing this through. So let's make some work together. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Thank yeah. you. Have a great night. Night, everyone. Thanks. See ya.